Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of Welcome to Fatherhood Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, my brother? Everything's well, man. How things on your end? Yeah, same here, man. All is well, man. I'm also uh, pleased to announce we have a special guest, Darren Gray. How is it going? You know, it's going really well. Right here in Indianapolis, just a little south of you guys in Chicago. Nice, nice. So, Darren, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what do you do for a living or for a purpose? And also, how many kids you got and what are their ages? Man, so, gang, I grew up in the media business. And in uh, the late uh, 2000s, or excuse me, the early 2000s, I had a introduction to a man by the name of Tony Dungy. Some of you might know who Tony is. He's now on NBC and a popular uh, uh, head coach. I think he beat the Bears. He may not have been, a, been his friend way back in the day in uh, February 4th of 07, but what a great man he is. And he and I began working together at a strategy called Family First and All Pro Dad to uh, build a national fatherhood program with the help of Mark Merrill and Clyde Christensen and a whole host of other people. But that's where my, you know, a vocation met my avocation or my purposeful interest, as you called it a moment ago. And and uh, for the last couple of decades, I've been sort of operating at the intersection of sports, media, ministry, and uh, all things fatherhood. So love the work that I get to do. And it's an honor to be with you guys here tonight. Yeah, thank you. Uh, how many children do you have? Oh, that's right. <laughs> so in order for me to talk about my children, I got to talk about four of them. Uh, my oldest uh, son is uh, Evan. He's getting ready to get married. He's engaged to the love of his life. We're excited to welcome Gabby into uh, the home here in a couple of months. His best friend in fourth grade was a young uh, brother by the name of Prince Majestic Michael Johnson. And uh, Prince was in essence, functionally fatherless. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time because he slept over so much uh, that that Prince didn't really have a great home to go home to. And so we ended up guiding him toward our home. And wouldn't you know that that fourth grader uh, just graduated from college. Uh, so we're uh, uh, proud, uh, you know, kind of co-parents with him. We never took custody, but close. I, thought, I talked to him just a few hours ago. So he's doing great. He's in the logistics and trucking business now. My daughter is a senior at IU, that's Shelby Noel, and my Christmas baby, and you know, she's uh, just excellent at all the things she does, getting ready to go into media and communications uh, down there. And then my youngest son, uh, Zachary, he's at work right now, uh, but he's 19, and he's just back from an off-grid, free-range, organic goat farm in New Mexico. Can't make that up. Uh, but in the pand pandemic, right after graduating high school, he wanted to do something to learn a trade or a skill and do something unorthodox. And that's what we ended up dreaming up through a strategy called Work Away. And uh, he got to go spend almost a hundred days in the mountains of New Mexico learning, you know, the old ways, uh, how, to, how to raise goats and slaughter them and uh, make a living around them. So it was pretty neat. So he's home now. Uh, and uh, those are my four. And uh, it's an honor to be a father along with my wife, Leslie, who's in the other room now. And will be uh, uh, married uh, 29 years here this fall. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, congratulations on the upcoming uh, anniversary. Yeah, we're, we're, we're grateful. We met when she was 12 and I was 15. Crazy story. I uh, had ridden my bicycle <clears throat> from Indianapolis, in, in essence, to Miami Beach, Florida at 15 with a group, uh, it was a way to test myself and challenge myself. And it was amazing. But while we were there, there was a international church convention that was going on. And that's what we were pedaling toward. Uh, and she was down there as uh, uh, really not even supposed to be there because she wasn't even a teenager yet. Uh, but she was there with her older sisters who were in the youth group. And we ended up meeting and uh, dated off and on for many years and ended up uh, almost 29 years ago making her my wife. So best decision I've ever made. Uh, short of my relationship with Jesus, and I'm grateful uh, for the life that I have here in Indianapolis and the family uh, that's at the center of, of my life. That's an incredible story, man. So how, how long did it take you to ride no, your bike 
the same <laughs> yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, a, uh, in essence, nine riding days. So it's 1,100 miles uh, from end to end. And uh, we um, did that in nine riding days. So do the math. There was a couple of days that were like 130, 540 miles. You know, as a 15-year-old, it was the, certainly the biggest test that I'd ever encountered. But, gang, I trained 3,000 miles to ride that 1,000 miles. So it wasn't an accident, right? Opportunity favors the prepared mind and body. And so I put the effort into it, and God had made a way. And I was the youngest person. I, there might have been a couple of other 15-year-olds, uh, but, you know, most of the people were 18 and 20. And so it's just sort of par for my life of trying to uh, uh, be excellent and do amazing things and I've got to do some really interesting things, gang. I've been, I was at the Berlin Wall uh, when it when it came down uh, years ago, and that was a remarkable uh, place to be. And I've traveled to all, well, 48 of the uh, contiguous United States. Uh, I've not been to Alaska and Hawaii, uh, uh, but, you know, I've, I've traveled a good bit. And then overseas, I've got to do missions trips and work with uh, uh, disadvantaged populations in, in, in Ghana and Mexico and so many places, Rwanda, uh, God makes a way. And I try to come, come up for, you know, for the call when, when it comes my way. Uh, talk about your experience as a dad. Uh, what have you learned from, your, uh, about yourself since becoming a dad? Mm-hmm. Learned that I don't know it all. Uh, you know, my, it's interesting, you know. My daughter uh, is is a perfectionist, and and uh, you know I never taught her that in a specific way, but I think that you know she's you know taken on some of that hardworking ethic. Never had a B in her life, not from elementary school all the way to college. She's a senior now at Indiana University, and you know I, I think uh, I, I've learned like like I may have had some role in that. You know, it's like. Obviously, she's her own woman. She makes her own choices. And I love the idea of getting all A's, but that expectation on a young person can be tough. So I've learned that I need to give my kids grace, and I want grace from them. I, far from a perfect father, uh, but, you know, I, I, uh, I love my family and just want to be present for them. And so just try to uh, make them the priority, uh, but be humble. You know, I think uh, uh, it's... it's um, I say it this way, you know, it's kind of the superpower of humility and strong confidence in the Lord. And, uh, you know, kind of, I hear you talking about superpowers sometimes in some of your podcast work and the like, and that sort of is that it's like, I try to have those two things together. I don't always do it well, but, uh, hopefully day by day, I can give my family the grace relations that they deserve, uh, and try to uh, be the kind of dad that I'm called to be. Can you talk about your experience? Um, well, the, I guess the, the decision process and um, adopting your son, Prince Majestic Michael Johnson. Nailed it. Well done. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, Good name. So, so can you talk about that experience a little bit? Well, I can. You know, uh, I love to probably the thing I want, want, want to talk about most because I love that young man so you know, early on, he just was staying over a lot. And guys, I always wanted my house to kind of be the house where, where the kids felt comfortable bringing their friends to spend the night. But, you know, kind of like in the in kind of sleepover culture, it's like, you know, after uh, somebody sleeps over at your house a few times, like sometimes there's a reciprocal ask or an invitation uh, and, and you, your kids go sleep over with them. Well, that that invite never came. And it also, I got some clues. I'm not too bright sometimes, guys, but I got some clues. Like he would say, hey, my mom's at Walmart. My mom's at, you know, Old Country Buffet. My mom's at when I would go to drop him off. And and I love his mom. I know her. She's awesome. I've, I've been around her hundreds of times now, uh, uh, his biological mom. But his father, his um, biological father wasn't present. And so I uh, just kept pursuing him. I, I eventually said, hey, Prince, you don't really have a home to go home to, do you? And he's like, you know, he cried. You know, he kind of like, and I just put him at ease, like, hey, my house is a place where you're welcome. And while we never took full custody of him, we use very specific language. Uh, we take it from the godfather. Uh, you know, we call it, uh, I call myself his godfather. I call him my godson. 
uh, and then he calls me Pops. So we, we created some language that supported, like, that's what I really am. I'm his spiritual father. I was close to him. He was a great athlete. It wasn't exactly a blind side story. He did go play uh, college football, and it was awesome. Uh, didn't go beyond that. But, you know, he's gone beyond that in that he's working in a trucking and logistics company now, and he's doing great, and I'm excited for him. And, you know, I, uh, I when I talked to him today, what we were talking about was I'm producing a big event at the Pro Football Hall of Fame coming up here in a couple of weeks uh, called the Fatherhood Festival. And uh, doing that with Mike Singletary, one of your Bears' very own Hall of Famers, and Anthony Munoz and others. But the point of that, I was making arrangements. Hey, wh- when are you going to be able to come over? What's the best way? Should you ride with me? Should you ride separately? Bring my other son? Hey, ride with my dad? Like it was all kind of possibilities uh, that we were coming up with. And and at the end of it, I'm like, man, how are you really doing? You know, how's it going? Because he had a, a little tough situation with his girlfriend, uh, Alyssa, and so you know, whatever, just listening. That's my job, uh, being present, finding ways to care for his deeper needs, and then to encourage him. Over the weekend, I uh, went to breakfast with a good friend of mine that works in some packaged goods industries. I get to do some things that some pretty, you know, from a worldly perspective, you know, big brands support some of the things that I do. And, and so uh, I was with a guy and I said, you know what, would you be willing to talk to Prince? And, and coach him and mentor him around the packaged goods industry because every, you know, every case of, you know, uh, packaged goods has to be delivered somewhere and that takes trucking and logistics. So would you be willing to coach him? So why I, I give you that continuum, whether it's me on the phone with him, whether it's me taking him as I've traveled with him to Ghana, uh, I've traveled with him uh, to Mexico uh, on two different missions trips. But my point is I include him in my life. He went on family vacations with us. He was he was present with us. And, and uh, while I never uh, fully adopted him because it just didn't make sense uh, for his situation with his mom, uh, you know, I eventually met his biological father. I've been around him twice now. So that was a blessing and, you know, just an opportunity just to understand Prince a little bit more. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's the uh, um, he's related to Marvin Johnson, the boxer. Uh, and so Prince has learned to be pretty resilient. And uh, hopefully I've, I've added to that resiliency a little bit in terms of you know, coaching, guiding, being an advocate for him. And that's the real life relationship of Darren Gray and uh, Prince Michael Majestic Johnson. He's, uh, he's the pride and joy. Uh, and I'm glad he's growing up uh, in all the right ways. Yeah, that's probably the best name I've ever heard somebody have. Isn't that a good name? Yeah, Yeah, it definitely stands out in a bunch. Majestic. Majestic. I like that. Uh, What do you think uh, was your favorite stage of uh, parent life? Was it uh, when your kids were younger? When it got like kind of middle age? I love these questions, man. You know, the uh, it gives me a chance to talk about things that people don't ask about too much. Yeah. You know what? I'm pretty sad. Like, I could start crying if I start thinking about this one too much, guys. And, you know, uh, my point is, I liked it when they were on the floor. You yeah. know, when I could get down there with them. And, and uh, you know, I've got pictures on my phone and me holding a little one. Obviously, it's like pictures of pictures because we didn't have. I'm an old guy, right? I'm 55 now. I turned 55 on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. I'll tell you a story about that in a minute, but um, a good one. Uh, but, you know, I, I just uh, um, love that period. Kind of, I don't know, probably that that three or four, you know, once they get out of diapers maybe, and, you know, you, they got a little freedom, but toddling around. And they really, the reason why, it's because they need you. You know what I mean? It's like my kids... Don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Like, like all my kids need me and they love me and I try to love them in my imperfect ways. But in that life stage, they like need you. It's like daddy. Yeah. And uh, I love being, I love being a dad of little folks. And I, I heard the, the echo back there. So I know you're, you're feeling that sentiment that I'm setting forth and such a joy to, to be a dad. It's the, uh, one of the greatest gifts that I think I'll ever, ever be given. Yeah, once they're not babies anymore, they're never babies. That's that's uh, I feel the same way. Like my youngest is uh, should be five in July, so uh, she's she's out of, out of that phase, and uh, yes, yeah, uh, 
pulling at my heartstrings, you know. <laughs> oh, no. uh, so what's the story um, that you were going to share about Cinco de Mayo? So I told you guys a minute ago that I was producing this festival. So it's called the Fatherhood Festival. So fatherhoodfestival.com. It's a big deal. You guys are welcome to come. Like literally you can come and podcast live from there. Uh, if you want to at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, that's Father Day's, Father's Day weekend. But the story is, you know, it's like, what do you get somebody that really, you know, doesn't need anything? You know, I got my God has met our, our needs uh, as missionaries for Athletes in Action and for the, the, the work that we do in and around the fatherhood um, ecosystem. And uh, for my 55th birthday, I'm like, you know what I really want? I want a long conversation with Tony Dungeon around a particular topic, and I've talked to him countless times, but I'm like, Tony, or I texted him like, hey, for my birthday, this is what I want, like spend some time. And I wanna ask you deep questions about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, specifically about the true good guys, the men of faith and honor. Uh, and so I don't know you guys' faith perspective and it's, it's all good because I, I, I wanna be you know, loving of people uh, of all uh, uh, nationalities and all faiths. And, but I'm a Jesus follower. And so I'm like, tell me about the Jesus followers. And it was so cool to talk with him about uh, the old time guys like Tom Landry, who was the coach on the opposite team when he was playing uh, for the Steelers and how, how he was noticing how coach Landry was coaching his players and how much he respected and what high regard he had for coach Landry, even though that was the team they were competing against. So it was just interesting. I, I don't have my notebook with me because I didn't know we'd be talking about it, but I was able to take just pages and pages of notes about his reflections on what it was like in the, the mid seventies coming up, uh, you know, from the university of Minnesota and then on into the pros for, for several years, three with uh, uh, Pittsburgh and then another with the 49ers uh, and then on to a long coaching uh, career, as you know, and now uh, with the super bowl win and then on to uh, the uh, uh, broadcast with uh, NBC. And so it was just rich. And that's the kind of thing that I enjoy doing. In fact, I was on the phone with the Hall of Fame uh, uh, to, uh, earlier today, working through the archives of this program that I'm or working through with the archivist. His name is John Kendall. He's amazing. Uh, but uh, then matching up Tony's kind of anecdotes and what he was thinking about uh, with video footage. And I, we were able to pull uh, about 75 pages of um, verbatims from the Pro Football Hall of Fame speeches, the induction speeches, right, that happen uh, each year. And uh, I was able to pull for all the things that really matter, you know, God, faith, Jesus, Lord, uh, fatherhood. It was really, really remarkable to start reading through those verbatims and all those uh, men that have played the game. There's 363 guys, I believe, that are enshrined now. And of those folks kind of how it is that they related to fatherhood. And uh, the cool thing is when you find the guys that make it to the pinnacle of success and then say, but it's not the most important thing. Like, it's great. Like, I love, you know, I, I'm not hoping, but, but if I was, if I were, yeah, okay, I made it all the way there. I'm Mike Singletary and Anthony Munoz and Tony Dungy. But it's not the most important thing. Most important thing is my family and my values and my faith. And so those are the kind of stories that I kind of geek out about. Like, that's my jam. That's what I want to think about, talk about, reflect upon. And uh, then it's uh, the, in, in doing those things, I'm looking at my desk and, you know, all the photographs of me and Tony and all the places we've been and Coach Tomlin and, you know, all the things that are just artifacts. I'm moving, guys, which is why I've got all these things on my desk, but all the Coach Tomlin and all these things that I got a chance to do. But all those things are made possible because of my wife and my family. And uh, I got a document here that I had no idea I was going to talk about tonight because I didn't know what we were going to talk about. I, I didn't plant it here. It's just here because I'm preparing to move and my, my office is a little jumbled. But this says, Darren, I love you because this is my wife. I love that you can cook so well and you're resourceful with the ingredients. I love that you make coffee every morning. 
I love that you study the Bible by yourself and with your friends. I love that you work out and stay fit. I love that you're willing to take long walks with me. I love that you let me get the cat. <laughs> I love that uh, you do the laundry. I love that you're such a loyal friend to people in your life. I love that you appreciate and research the skills and you listen well. I love that you're willing to scratch me all the time, right? That's just being real, guys. That's just her, that's her jam, getting her scratches. I love that you're outgoing and we can talk uh, and you can talk to almost anyone. I love that you're willing to protect me and the kids. I love that you're willing to travel with me on these adventures. I love that you are a great player and always have strategies to try to win. I love that you love my parents so much. What, what makes this sad is both of her parents have now uh, died in the last couple of, uh, couple of years. This is a little bit old. I love that you sing to me and that we have, some, we have fun singing together. And that we have fun singing together. I love that you have deep and tender eyes. I love that you have deep and philosophical, that we have deep and philosophical conversations and that you're interested in my deep thoughts. I love that you spent so much time with Zach and Evan and Prince. Uh, she specifically references football. I love that you're not afraid to go out on the big waves in the ocean. That's awesome. I love that you're willing to try new food. I love that you rake the leaves and shovel the snow. I love it when you smile big and the little creases that come about in your eyes. I love to hear you laugh. I mean, really laugh hard. And I love it when you make me laugh and all our silly stuff. So I don't know when it was written. I don't know what the context was that my wife gave it to me in, but that's the sentiment from the gray household. Those are the kind of things that you keep, you know, I tossed thousands of pounds of, of paper out in the last couple of days and just all my, you know, all pro dad stuff, just so much paper. Uh, but you, you find a note like that guys when you cherish it and you keep it. And uh, that was a long answer to a really simple question. Uh, but family is everything. Cinco de Mayo 55 makes me reflect upon who I am, my age as a man, as a father. Uh, and uh, it's an honor to be here with you tonight. And the, the fact that you would care enough to ask me these questions, is, uh, it's a blessing, guys. Back at you. Wow, that's awesome. That's something that you'll hold on to forever. Yeah. Yes, sir. What was the last thing you cooked? Have you yeah, I am a pretty good cook, guys. So let me tell you first how I got to be a good cook. So it, when when I was a boy, like um, you couldn't go to like now you can go any kid 16 or greater can go get a job like the workforce is hungry uh, for workers. But in the town I grew up in, that wasn't the case, Anderson, Indiana. And uh, you couldn't go get a job, not because you weren't old enough, but because they just didn't have any jobs. So I eventually got a a job working as a like a sous chef, like a prep, doing prep work at a at a grill house, and I was watching the chefs. Like, what do they do? Like, what can I do? How does it work? Like, when to do this, when to do that, and so I just began uh, kind of a love affair with you know being a cook and taking the time. But I don't cook by recipes. I cook by feel. I cook by smell. I cook by taste. My wife, on the other hand, she cooks by recipes. So. I might drive her a little crazy sometimes because I can kind of put it together. But let me think about the last meal. It was probably, um, it's been, you know, I, I made, you know, gourmet sandwiches and did a few things uh, uh, this week. But, you know, just uh, steak dinners, you know, good uh, rib roast uh, and, uh, you know, getting that uh, cooked just right along with some um, Brussels sprouts uh that we that we bake uh that's, that's probably the last one that i put together so what tips would you give to a dad cook that might be listening dad home cooks yeah you know great ingredients and uh a little grace yeah uh, in, in other words you know just w w what do you cook what you like like what you enjoy and, uh, you know, always start with a, um, a staple, you know, something that's hearty, like uh, that, that's for me, uh, the way I do it. And once I pick the meat, then I organize around uh, that meat dish, you try to balance it out with, 
you know, two or three things which will, will bring joy and balance together. And that's kind of how I think about it and slow it down and go get great ingredients. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the best of the best. Like I, I, I know how to shop for meat. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just slow it down, enjoy the process. Don't get ahead of it. You know, how about you guys? You like to cook? Yeah. Oh yeah. I cook. I, I, I dabble a little bit. Yeah. I want to get into cooking more. Um, my dad actually, uh, got me into cooking. He used to cook all the time. He'd be up two, three o'clock in the morning, just uh, you know, cooking like a big pot of like uh, beans, like just uh, oh, yeah. ham hocks and all kind of stuff. And he'd be up all night cooking. Whole, the whole house would be smelling good. <laughs> I, I cook as well. Um, I guess growing up, I, I learned how to cook out of necessity. My mother wasn't really um, the best cook. So uh, in order to improve my meal choices, I started to cook myself. So, you know, that, yeah, why that not? Yeah, I just I actually was over his house for a barbecue. Uh, Memorial. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Fourth of July, Fourth of July is coming. Fourth of July oh, yeah. is coming. Oh yeah. All right. So, uh, Darren, can you talk about your relationship with your dad and how it was growing up? A little bit of your background. Well, I can, and I need to work this one in reverse too. You know, my uh, mom just died uh, oh, about a, year, a little over a year ago yeah. in the pandemic. It was a, a, a really tragic uh, thing. Dying of COVID's a tough way to go because it choked, you know, choked lungs. You couldn't get, you couldn't breathe, and ended up getting yeah. hospitalized. And uh, uh, you know, you don't come once you're intubated. It's uh, likelihood of coming back is not great. Uh, so I went down and stayed uh, with my dad uh, for the week preceding that, and then several weeks into that. Uh, and and my brothers and sisters were very involved. I have one brother and one sister, and we all sort of, you know, just went down. But it was at our own peril too, right? Because mom had COVID, which means dad had COVID, which means that we got an opportunity to go get COVID. We might get it if we went down, and so there was just a whole kind of a you know, the calculus of all that. When will we go? How long will we stay? How do we care for dad? He couldn't drive. He got really sick, but he took a special treatment that they gave him at the uh, hospital and uh, he recovered and, and mom chose not to take that treatment and she didn't. And I'm not judging any decisions that might've been made by, by mom, but, uh, you know, it, it took her life ultimately. And so that leaves dad alone. And uh, so he lives not far from me. They were down in Florida at the time, but not, uh, they didn't own down there. And so, uh, you know, we had to just care for him and get him home. And uh, so now I, I eat dinner with him a couple of times a week, I'm present in his life. A couple of weeks ago, I had to go to Baltimore to do a, a thing with a bunch of NFL athletes. And I'm like, man, I can either jump on a plane I can fly in and out some one day. Like there's a lot of direct flights from Indy to Baltimore because of one of the carriers that goes there uh, with direct flights. I'm like, I can get in and out. I can go do what I need to do. Or I can call dad and I can say, hey, I need to go to Baltimore. You want to come? And uh, I will jump in a car and we'll go make a three-day thing of it. And we'll go see the country a little bit and travel. Because that's one of his great things. He and mom used to travel a lot. And uh, that's what I did. But it happened to be on the the literal anniversary of the grim anniversary of mom's death. This is just a few weeks ago. And what do you do on that grim anniversary? What do you do to to honor that person? But also it's like, you know, I guess you could celebrate, but I just didn't feel authentic. It was so hard. And what we did, guys, is we went to Gettysburg. And uh, on the way home from Baltimore, it was a little out of the way, but I'm so glad we did because we had been there about 45 years before when I was a young boy and, you know, standing up on the top of this place where this battle, right, uh, uh, had happened um, in, uh, you know, little there in, at Gettysburg. It just sort of brought back memories. We shed some tears. We connected. We had fun. We, we went and uh, enjoyed that experience because we're both sort of historic uh, buffs and, and like that. But that was uh, that's what we did. So that's dad. He's struggling uh, a little bit uh, as mom, you know, continues to 
you know, be a heavy loss, but he's getting better and uh, we're finding a way he's getting stronger. But going all the way back, which was sort of the family of origin work, which I've done a lot of uh, study and work around, um, you know, dad was less outgoing than mom, but dad was a really good basketball player. So um, dad's centerpiece at, uh, uh, of the family was because he had the keys to the gymnasium at the church. He was the church treasurer, too, uh, sort of introverted, but basketball was his love. And so uh, my brother, uh, who was better than I, uh, my brother-in-law, who was better than I, and my dad, who was better than I, and myself, I was okay, uh, ended up playing uh, tens of thousands of hours of basketball and organizing games. And that's really what happened at the Gray household. That was the game that we played. And so a story that you'll appreciate, um, uh, I was one cut off of making uh, my senior high team in high school, which is sort of embarrassing to say, but truth of the matter, Anderson, Indiana basketball, it's pretty, it's like, it's like playing in Gary, you know, it's like a, if you make it there, you can make it anywhere and uh, a high level uh, high school basketball. So I didn't make my team, but dad goes, well, why don't you go play on the other side of town? Like there's, a, there's other gymnasiums, there's other places to play. And uh, guys um, in, in part, one of the things that brings us together tonight is, you know, uh, I went and played uh, on the West side at the Wilson's Boys Club. I played for a man named Lavelle Wilkerson. And Lavelle's team uh, was uh, me and 14 black boys. And for so for two seasons, uh, I uh, was far more than a token white guy, uh, but I was the white guy on the team. There was one other guy that came in for part of one of those two seasons, but for all intents and purposes, when we would travel, it would just be me uh, in the, that van all packed together. And don't tell anybody, but I, I learned to drink a Mickey and I played a little bit of Tonk and, uh, you know, I got acculturated and uh, began to understand, uh, you know, a little bit about what it was like uh, to be around people that maybe were a little different, but were so much similar. And so I just learned like how to relate uh, to, to young black men, now old black men and can, I'm not calling you old, uh, older black men, you know, and uh, I, I learned that and that has really helped me to be able to communicate well in the job I do now, right in the, in the fatherhood space, as well as in all the pro sports spaces that are uh, in the pro sports over represents uh, uh, black. And uh, so I'm, I'm right at home and uh, I, I love basketball and what it did for me. And another fun story that I got on my desk, you guys remember Mark Jackson? Yeah. Oh yeah. He, right. Played for, the Knicks and then came over to the Pacers and kind of finished out his career. He was a great one. Uh, but I remember uh, he was uh, playing at uh, Lifetime Fitness one day when I was up, upstairs working out and I saw, I saw him down there and I'm like, man, I, I'm going to go down and see what he's doing. And uh, so he was shooting three pointers and long range shots. And I went up, I'm like, Hey Mark, like, you know, you know who it was, right? Hey Mark, you need somebody to rebound for you. And, uh, you know, like, how can I be of service? And he's like, sure. Uh, so, you know, I made him a little more efficient. I gave him myself. I took a little time. But within, uh, I don't know, it was 10 minutes or 20 minutes. He's like, hey, man, you play. Uh, and when that you play came about, uh, that was my special moment to have a one-on-one -on -one ball game with Mark Jackson. And, uh, man, that was a fun, fun time. I remember just as an aside, there were these two uh, guys off to the side that were watching this happen and uh, not that I would measure up in any way with Mark because he was a, a a great player and and uh, he was backing me down and it was awesome but the point is these two guys walked up and they go man we want to get in on this game and I'm like I gave them the death stare in that moment like this is my time this is my game this is my night get off uh, and so anyway that's a, a fun memory that I have and it's just all connected with just love, love, love uh, uh, being with people, diverse cultures and uh, finding ways to really celebrate our differences, finding unity by celebrating differences. That's kind of how I think about it, guys. What's one of the characteristics you uh, took from your dad? You know, dad loved the Lord hmm. and um you know, he wasn't a vocal man. He didn't pray at every meal the way I do. He like does. 
his spiritual head of household stuff differently, but his calm presence was, I'm always going to be there. And so he was always over-prepared. Uh, but, you know, I just think of it, even this last trip, we were on a trip and I needed, forget was I needed a pair of clippers or a Band-Aid or something, something obscure. And he's like, oh yeah, I got that. Oh, I know what it was. I got a, uh, a splinter. And like, who carries tweezers in their pocket? So he had this like tactical knife that he pulled out and pulled out the set of tweezers. I'm like, what are you talking about? And it fixed my problem. But the point is he was prepared. So what did we talk about in the first couple of minutes of the day? Opportunity favoring the prepared mind about how I rode 3,000 miles in order to do 1,000. That's what my dad taught me. It's okay to be prepared. It's okay to be thoughtful uh, about who, uh, um, you know, about how you prepare for the things that matter most. So that's probably one of the biggest lessons dad ever taught me. Mom was the outgoing one and the one that was, you know, always out front and singing in the choir and all that. So I loved her too. I'm more like her uh, from a personality perspective, but dad's character traits around preparation were pretty powerful. You know, with your, um, you telling the story of, of your, you coming from a basketball family and mm-hmm. being from Indiana. I have yes. to ask you about Larry Bird. How did, uh, how did you all uh, view Larry Bird? We, we loved him. I mean, I got to tell you, a Sunday afternoons at one o'clock, you know, when we, we, we would, you know, go to church, uh, Sunday school in the morning. Uh, we, we'd go to church. Uh, we'd go to Wendy's. Uh, and then we had to get home to watch the Lakers and the Celtics play. And so that was my era, maybe a little before you guys. But, you know, we love Larry. We thought he was amazing. But, man, I could also tell you it was it was McHale and Parrish and all the other guys, you know, ML Carr, all the all the other players that were on that Boston team, what they meant, how they played together. DJ, I wanted to be DJ like I wanted to be a black man. Uh, it was awesome because he played the way that I wanted to play at the point and kind of find a way to uh, distribute the ball and a pass was always more important. But all that is possible. I mean, Larry was great, but Larry wouldn't have been as great if he didn't have the other players. And so I went and studied Kevin McHale's numbers. And, man, if he didn't have Kevin McHale on that team, I think he could have done it without Parrish. Uh, but McHale, I believe, was that dual threat that then opened up the middle enough that Larry could really do what he needed to do. We loved him. But, man, I love that era of ball all around. Kareem, Abdul-Jabbar, and all the, the other uh, players uh, of that era. How about you guys? Do you guys like that era? So, yeah, well, we're 80s babies. So yeah, that, that era I didn't see as much. I saw, like, a lot of highlights, you know. But yeah. But my, my really first memories were uh, like the 91 uh, championship for the Bulls, that first one. My oh, family's man. all around the t- uh, TV screaming and yelling. I went outside to play. I hear them screaming and yelling some more. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, what's going on inside? Let me go see what's going on. And I kind of got immersed in it, in, in, the, in the, uh, the passion that my family had for, for, uh, yeah. for the Bulls. And we used to have pizza nights just watching basketball all the time. And we really got real close as a family. Right. Chicago is like, you know, if it wasn't a religion, it certainly was a centerpiece uh, and a reason to come together and to believe and belong around that central idea that the Bulls uh, were going to compete and play hard and win. But you guys had a really good run, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember going downtown, hunking our horns, you know, going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we had some so good times with the Bulls, man. Not so much lately, but, uh, you know, hopefully we get back to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get back. <laughs> so talk about, uh, you talked about, you know, growing up with a basketball, you know, family then, but most of your professional yes. stuff is is ma- mainly around football. How did you get into, into uh, uh, in the football world? Yep. So, um, you know, I grew up in the media business uh, back in the day when they used to throw something in your dad's front yard and he probably used to read it and call it a newspaper. He was looking at the sports scores. Uh, So I'm pretty old. That was in the in the 90s. But when Tony Dungy came to town in 02, I got a phone call from the Indianapolis Colts because I was the general sales manager of the Indianapolis Star. And They're like, hey, you got a new coach. And they said his name is Tony Dungy. I said, who? Uh, And I had vaguely heard of him, but I didn't really know. Uh, much about him and then I had some of my folks on my team study who he was like like him as a man like what you know wrongfully fired 
one could argue from uh, the Buccaneers after a couple of, you know, good seasons down there and kind of who he was as a, as a strong leader. And uh, we placed a $25,000, uh, I'll bet's the right word, sponsorship uh, on him. And I went to a bank in town and I helped to orchestrate a $50,000 uh, donation. That's $75,000 of seed capital uh, helped to spawn the birth of All Pro Dad in Indianapolis. Uh, it was uh, based in Tampa uh, through a guy by the name of Mark Merrill. And then the current Buccaneers, uh, Tom Brady's quarterbacks coach, a guy named Clyde Christensen, uh, who's now back with the back in the Buccaneers who came to Indy. And none of that really matters other than to say, you know, they had this idea to create this aspirational fatherhood program called All Pro Dad. There wasn't a ton of substance behind it yet, uh, but they wanted to grow and they had some good ideas. And I'm like, man, I'm in, like, I'm a young dad. Like, this is important to me. Let me see what I can do to help. But the fateful decision was not the sponsorships, guys. The fateful decision was I made a personal donation. And I was doing I was doing well, doing good in the community. And I didn't think too much about it, actually. But when I wrote that personal check, I think the next time I was in the green room, there was a different sentiment. Like, oh, this guy really cares. Uh, and even though I'm nobody and it wasn't an empowering gift, it wasn't like the kind of sponsorships I had. But I think they saw my heart, guys. And uh, I had a tender heart for the work. And, and uh, over time, I got an opportunity to leave the newspaper business and take those same skills uh, to work as a contract and a W-2 employee for All Pro Dad and Family First, which I did for 11 years. I commuted from Indianapolis to Tampa uh, once a month to help build that out. And while I wasn't the only one there, there was a great team. I just wanted to be part of something special. I got to do some pretty interesting things, guys. Uh, out of Tony's Dungy, Tony Dungy's downline. Because think about it, uh, uh, Lovey Smith uh, was with you guys in Chicago. Leslie Frazier was headed up to Minnesota. He's now with the Bills. Coach Caldwell was coming up under Tony. Uh, Herm Edwards was the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. Right, this downline uh, uh, of Tony's was starting to spread their wings and and move about the country. And so that was really the perfect storm. And uh, so we were able to meet with all 32 of the NFL teams. We were able to run programming with 22 of them, run programming at the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl, lots of amazing uh, strategies. We called those the all-pro dad, father, and kids experiences. Uh, and uh, along with the help of a ton of people uh, from the organization, we were able to raise sufficient funds to build a national program, which then led to the spawning of uh, over a thousand chapters that are still active all over America where dads and kids come together in public schools uh, and private schools and in community centers and use the all-pro-dad all, all dad curriculum to help uh, strengthen their relationships and get better together. And so as a result of that and raising the friends and the funds to make that possible, I got to make a lot of connections uh, in the NFL and in and around the sponsorship world of the NFL that helps to make and empower a lot of the charitable and philanthropic aspects of these things. I call it strategic sports philanthropy. And so that's, uh, that's what I got a chance to do. I, I suppose that I've, I've made some headway and I've been able to make a few good moves and God has uh, honored the work and I'm thankful for uh, being able to do that and, and love it. And uh, uh, that's how I landed in, in and around football. Although here recently I was working on a project with Ernie Johnson uh, earlier today uh, uh, from TNT, he's the he wrangles uh, Shaquille O'Neal and uh, Charles Barkley along with Kenny Smith. That's a hard job, uh, but he's so gifted. So we have all this content that we did with him recently with Sage Steele, strong black woman. What a great leader those two are. But uh, and then I was working on a project earlier today with David Tyree, uh, the the helmet catch oh, yeah. uh, guy, uh, uh, with uh, caught the pass from Eli Manning uh, in the Super Bowl. That it didn't actually. It wasn't the one that uh, actually won the game, but it was it was one uh, that that made that drive stay alive. So we were on national media and we've got uh, Sean Alexander on air tomorrow. Good morning, football tomorrow morning. Uh, if any of you want to tune in, uh, um, um, we're, we'll be on with Sean. I don't know if you remember him, but he was on the cover of Madden in, uh, I think, 06. Uh, and get this, he was league MVP in 05. He broke the the uh, all-time touchdown record, 28 touchdowns in a season. And uh, Sean is just a close friend and somebody that we do a lot of missional work with. Uh, uh, and so love him. 
love the work we do, but that's indicative of, of all these leaders that God then allows me to help, you know, steward uh, their philanthropic, their strategic sports philanthropy uh, programming. Uh, and a lot of that work is done through the Ministry of Athletes in Action. And I uh, love the work that I do uh, along with other fatherhood organizations, uh, in this case, uh, uh, through the Fatherhood Festival. We're doing the Pro Football Hall of Fame Father's Day weekend. You can learn more at uh, fatherhoodfestival.com just to plug in and get connected to what we're doing. Wow, that's powerful. One check led to all that. One little baby check. <laughs> yeah, but but it was personal. You know yeah. what? I think that's as I think that metaphor extends. Are you with me? Like from a fatherhood, do you make it personal? Is this real? Uh, uh, and we make it personal. Kids matter. Families matter. You guys matter. Your work matters. Like what you're doing, not because I'm with you today, like uh, I'm the least of these, but how it is that you step up for things that are right, good, and true, like the nobility of being a great father. And and, and I think I think in some ways, uh, Chuck Knoll, the former head coach of the uh, now deceased of, of uh, Tony, uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers said it this way. He said, champions aren't champions because they do extraordinary things. They're champions because they're willing to do the ordinary things better than anyone else. And for me, that's the fatherhood mantra for me, not for everybody. Like I want to create extraordinary moments and experiences for my kids. I really do. And, and I, if, I, if I'm serious, I enjoy it too. Uh, but um, I want to do those ordinary things. I want to make the extra phone call. I want to make sure the kids are good. I want to get them uh, uh, to the extent that I can uh, in a good place uh, so that they can live forward that legacy of the gray family. And uh, not, not because of my ego, but because it allows them to go farther, right? The kingdom of we rather than the kingdom of me set aside my selfish desires and try to be the father uh, that I know I'm called to be. And uh, it's, uh, it's an honor. To, to, to be a dad to these great kids and to spot, be with other guys like you that I know are good dads too and trying to make a difference in the world in this field. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, I guess like throughout while you were talking, um, the question that stood out in my head is like throughout all your journeys and everything hmm. and like interactions with, it, with all these different people, um, who do you feel was like the most uh, interesting or who was like someone who dropped? Right there, baby. Who, Coach that's Tomlin. Tomlinson? No, that's Coach Tomlin. So okay. Coach, okay. Uh, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach. Uh, my favorite, uh, uh, I just loved being around him, ran a bunch of events with him, got to uh, be kind of part, but, the way it is that he coaches up his players with enthusiasm, heart, belief, like I believe in you, I love you, and how it is that he talked to people, and, and he didn't have a good biological dad. He has, had a stepdad uh, that, that leaned in, and so just the authenticity of his story and how it is that he would bring his kids to the programming that we would do, and he uh, is really smart, like super smart. Uh, so not that I, I am, I'm not, but you know, I love being around guys that can remember the talking points or literally can be on message, right? Allfordad.com, right? They can, they know, uh, uh, how to make sure to move a brand because we were trying to do something in Pittsburgh and we were investing a lot of energy there. And, uh, I'd say that is one of my favorite guys, but guys, I've got a chance to travel to Israel with, uh, dozens and dozens of NFL players, coaches and alumni coach Caldwell. I count as a great friend. He uh, is just a, a man of honor and hope. I was just with big Gerald McCoy. He told me he was 300 pounds while we were over there, but he was, and I think he was about 320, 330. He's a big man. He was Vegas uh, last year. Uh, hopefully he'll go on to be a pro football hall of famer. Uh, but man, love being uh, in and around these guys and just knowing them. But I would say if you boiled it down to a player side, the player that I just really, truly love is uh, a man by the name of Warwick Dunn. And you guys may not remember Warwick. Uh, he uh, played for Bobby Bowden down at FSU and then went on to have a good career with the uh, um, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then the Atlanta Falcons. But, guys, he's now a, a partial owner of the Atlanta Falcons. 
He loves people, but he's built almost 200 houses for single moms. Can you get, can you think about that? Like challenged families, he's found a way through his redevelopment group and through the work done charities to do some of the most remarkable things. So we were together, I mentioned uh, early in the conversation, I was up in Chicago a couple of weeks ago for Coach Ditka's annual event, and we had made arrangements for work to win and essentially a humanitarian award. Uh, uh, and uh, I just uh, love being with Warwick. And so there's a player, Warwick. There's a coach, uh, Coach uh, Tomlin. And I would say those are two of my favorites uh, from the journey. That's awesome. I remember watching um, football like in the 90s and they would show like the cutaways, like the community work. And uh, I remember seeing that on TV, working yeah. on building houses. I remember, I remember that. So he's still he's doing, still doing it. He's still doing it, guys. He's still doing it. He is remarkable. Yep, he's a good. He's got a couple of kids now. He lives in Atlanta. I stayed at his house. I don't know, not not too long. It was right before the pandemic started. But he's doing great and uh, uh, somebody that you can believe in and count on. Real deal. Got his MBA. Uh, uh, in fact, we were over in Israel. They're uh, doing some uh, some stuff, and while we we're over there, he was like, "Man, I got to slip away tonight to get my do some MBA homework." Right. Just just commitment. It's it's good. Right. Preparation. I love it. Now, uh, Darren, there's a question that I already asked you. You gave me a real good answer. The question was, what does fatherhood mean to you? And I'll read your response. Uh, you gave me a, a Bible uh, quote is uh, Malachi four six. You will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Yeah. That's powerful. And also, Malik. fathers are essential to America's future. And then also you mentioned your website, father, fatherhoodfestival.com. But uh, speak to that Bible verse. Uh, why did that uh, stand out to you uh, so much? Yeah, well, think about the last will and testament of someone. And the reason I say that is that is literally the last verse of the Old Testament. So the Judeo-Christian faith, the Old Testament, uh, uh, is it ends with that verse, that one day there's going to come a prophet formed of the image of Elijah, which is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or there will be destruction, there will be hell to pay. And as you think about that, you look around society and some of that destruction, some of that hell to pay is sort of, you know, some some young youngsters, right, that that haven't become fully men, that maybe have gotten indoctrinated uh, and, and gotten involved with uh, a, a, a bad group, right? Call it a gang, uh, call it uh, a, just a, a misfit lifestyle where they're not living rightly. And, uh, you know, that verse brings clarity to me as the last will and testament. And the good news is, I believe uh, that, you know, the image. Uh, the prophet formed in the image of Elijah uh, was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist heralded the way uh, 400 years later for Jesus, uh, which is the reason uh, for all the work, the reason why I do the work that I do, grounded in, hey, I want to be a Jesus follower that goes to all the nations, right? Uh, leading folks toward Christ, letting the Holy Spirit do the work, and then ultimately uh, finding ways to coach, disciple, and guide uh, young people uh, both with fathers and without, but all that is to say that all comes uh, right from that last verse of the Old Testament, and uh, I believe it's uh, a mandate, and, you know, if we can do, even tonight, like, even tonight, doing that work to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, guys, it matters, like, find a way to make time and prioritize your family, because the years go by so fast, Right. The days are long, but the years are short. They're going to be over soon. Your kids are going to be up and growing. And while we all are fathers forever, uh, we need to continue to make sure to do those ordinary things better than anyone else uh, so that we can be the championship fathers that we're called to be. And uh, that's how that verse speaks to me and just challenges me always to keep it straight uh, and to focus on the things that matter most. My wife, my kids uh, and making sure that they. They know that I love them uh, and that it's not contingent upon anything that they would do. Uh, it's about 
who they are, their identity as a as a son uh, of Darren uh, and as a a child, uh, but also as children of God, uh, which make them uh, uh, as worthy as ever. So that's uh, a little bit of illumination from that little verse that uh, really speaks to me from Malachi four six. That's awesome. Yeah, good stuff. So, I know we're um, we're getting close to time, but uh, just listening to you, like this whole time we've been speaking, um, I know you said that you were in media, or you you still mm -hmm. are in, in media, um, mm -hmm. and listening to your voice, like you have you have a, a media voice. Do you work mm -hmm. on that? There is that is just come natural. It just comes natural. And you guys have it too. You guys are great. Uh, but yes, I've been blessed with some good chops uh, to be able to speak and pace. And I've practiced too. So, you know, it's, it's a funny story. I was in college and I, I knew I had to take a speech class to graduate with my degree in theology from Hanover College down in Southern Indiana. And a funny story is I uh, um, ended up needing to take a couple of summer school classes because uh, I wasn't a perfect student. And I, uh, um, while I was doing that, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take speech over the summer, because I'm probably going to be in a really small class, and it's going to uh, be uh, better that way. I wasn't a really small class. In fact, I was in a singular class <laughs> with, the with the professor and me. And that professor poured in to me, he saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself. And he began to teach me proper speech construction, when to gesture, when to not, how to construct a thought, how to write. And I wrote some of the most dynamic speeches of my life in that creative period in high school. And uh, it served me really, really well. Uh, and then I went on to be an award-winning Toastmaster. And None of that really even matters other than to say now, isn't it interesting that a good bit of my life, I, I, I do uh, a lot of public things. Uh, and so a lot of that was forged by my running away from, in a way, like kind of like Jonah running away uh, from the speech class, uh, running away from Nineveh. Uh, and yet while I was there, uh, God caught me with the help of a great Christian mentor. And that, that guy uh, taught me so much. And uh, it serves me well, and I'm thankful for my voice uh, that allows me to uh, carry the room uh, sometimes, but I'd much rather use that voice to proclaim the name of the Most High God and to find ways to lift up guys like you that are doing important work in the community and find ways to celebrate uh, others because uh, we are better together. We are stronger uh, when we come together uh, and we get beyond any any small-minded differences and we just go, you know what? We can love each other in the midst of our differences. We can be together uh, and uh, ultimately we can support each other even when times are tough. So I believe the best in our country. I believe that we really can find a way, but I know it's hard uh, uh, for, for folks. I know there've been challenging times in the midst of the pandemic. I lost my mom. Like I'm not saying it, it, it was easy, uh, but I got to tell you, uh, when we're willing to bleed for each other, when we're willing to pay attention to the needs of each other, when we're willing to listen really well, uh, I think that America is a better place. So thank you for your part in helping other people to listen and learn to podcasts like this. Thank you for allowing my voice to, to speak and for me to read that message from my wife, which I had no idea that I was going to do, but that blesses me because it makes it fresh for me. And I just uh, pray a blessing over you guys and your ministry, what you're doing with your podcast, how it is that you're reaching people, uh, no matter uh, the faith, no matter the, the ethnicity, uh, no matter the gender, keep doing what you're doing, keep reaching out and, and building a stronger America uh, by building stronger fathers, stronger families, and ultimately helping us to be the men that we're called to be. Yeah, most definitely. We will do. We will do for sure. Uh, my last question for you, Darren, is uh, if you had to give you know any advice to any dad that might be listening right now, uh, what would that advice be? Slow down. Mm. Get down on the floor. 
pay attention. Um, go so fast. And, uh, you know, it's not so much about what you are teaching. It's, it's what they're getting in proximity to you. Are you physically present? Do you have the ministry of presence, the ministry of availability? Does it start inside your own family? And uh, if you can honestly say that it does, then man, go change the world in the community. Go change the world out there. Uh, but, you know, if you struggle, you don't have to be a big man on campus outside and forsake your own family. Uh, uh, just pay attention, lean in and, and be present there first. And it will will pay dividends. Uh, and that'd be my simple bit of advice. Uh, easier said than done, uh, but something that's super important. That's awesome. If we were playing Family Feud, the survey would say that would be the number one answer that we hear. Be present. <laughs> this is real important. Uh, just to, you know, sit down with your kids and really be immersed in what they're doing. It's, I think that's uh, it's vital, especially nowadays during these days and times that we're in. And how about you guys? How would you address that particular question? Maybe in a in an off, you know, in another in another way. I would say uh, find out what your kids like and then do it with them. So if your kids like to build Legos, sit down with them and build Legos with them. If they like to draw rainbows or unicorns, mm -hmm. look up videos on how to draw unicorns and sit down with them and draw with them. Like right I, on. Door, I have a, a whole door filled with uh, art that my kids, me and my kids made. And uh, it just it, it makes me smile every time I walk past it. That's something that we created. It's a, it's a, a bond that we had. Uh, while we were, we're together um, and just you have just be be immersed in in your kids not just you know put them to the side not just give them a tablet or a phone and just walk away and like just be be with them be, like you said be present if I had to expound on that that's what uh, I would I would say yeah for me I, I would say um, just to be patient uh, be patient with yourself like you know a lot of a lot of the men who we interview you know it, they say there's no um, there's no manual for this. There's no manual for being a dad. So allow yourself the room to make mistakes, and um, you know once you identify that they are mistakes, correct it and continue to be the best father that you can. So that would be my advice. You guys are you guys are awesome. You're teaching me, love it. Yeah, this has been great, man. One of my favorites. Uh, Dr. Young, can we put this one in the Hall of Fame, too? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah for, for sure. It's a Hall of Fame. It's a Hall of Fame. So, Darren, what was your jersey number uh, when you're when you're, on your playing days? 12. 12? Okay, so jersey number yeah. 12. You know, yeah, you know, try to get – if you could get that 12 and 12, but for me, you know, because I was, I was a tweener, you know, about 6'1", and – you know that in high school that's that's big enough right and uh but that that's the number man if i never had to score that 24 points but i always wanted to balance the team whether it needed to be 12 rebounds or 12 assists based on the situation because i kind of played in a way like i'm not saying i'm lebron james certainly not but this idea <laughs> where well, you got the point forward right where where you've kind of got a new kind of guy distributing the ball and running it so i was doing that a little bit uh, from the three uh, but I wanted to play the one. I uh, wasn't probably fast enough, but uh, I, I loved I loved the game. How about you guys? So I was jersey number 35 when I played basketball and uh, also baseball, too. Same number. Fill, you could fill it up, couldn't you? Yeah, man, especially baseball. Man. I got some nice home runs, man. I was talking to my mother up the other day about a game. It was one game in particular. It was uh, really cold outside. So it started out with her outside watching us. And then she had to go to the car. That's how cold it was. I struck out three times, the first three at-bats, three strikeouts. Right. Nah, she still was in the car. The last at-bat, home run. Got it real good, man. It felt good. You know when you hit the ball real good, have real good connection. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> Did it hurt your hands because of how cold it was? Is the question. <laughs> no, it didn't. That's how good I hit it. I didn't get the sting at all. No sting. Yep. <laughs> Perfect connect, right? Perfect connection, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Darren, uh, my favorite number is 12. I was born on the 12th day of the 12th month. Okay. 
So, you know, that would have been my number as well, number 12. There you go. <laughs> the one. I may okay. find an old jersey downstairs uh, when I'm cleaning things out. You never know. Uh, but uh, those are glory days are long, long behind me. I'll close it out this way, guys. I, I tore my ACL. I have head trauma. Mm -hmm. I've got a gash here. I uh, detached retina. Uh, my front teeth are falling out. Like all that uh, from the game, right? Elbows and all that. And uh, I do it over again uh, because all the things that I learned from the game, uh, even though I'm going to have to go get a few more things repaired, uh, it, it really was a richer way because that's the, what my family, uh, that's, I think I froze up there for a second, but mm -hmm. that's what my family uh, relied upon as a way to keep us all connected together. So we're still connected to this day. Brother-in-law, brother, father, uh, and, and myself all have all those basketball memories in it. It's very, uh, very uh, good feeling, guys. Yeah. Well, Dan Darren, thanks again for taking the time out with us. Uh, Dr. Young, you got anything else before we wrap it up? Yeah, I just want to thank you as well. It's, it's been a pleasure. Well, guys, it's my pleasure right back at you. Man, package it up however you wish. Tag me on it. I'll share it out. This has been one of the fun ones.